Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Let the Right One In. Let the Right One In was written by John Advide Lindquist and was published in Sweden in 2004 and in English in 2007. And the film adaptation uh, was directed by Thomas Alfredson. And this is a patron-requested episode. Our lovely patron, Jennifer, asked us to do this episode, and we are very excited to do this. Um, I first read this book probably like 2013-ish and really enjoyed it. But and I think we watched the movie together. Too. We did. Yes, I knew I I know I'd seen this movie before. Yeah, but um, never did it for the podcast. So it's very exciting that we get to finally discuss this. Yes, I mean this is considered like one of the best horror movies of all time. Uh, very influential, and there's been a number of additional adaptations to it. There was a American kind of remake of the film. Yeah. Uh, which came out in like what late like 2008 or something. Or no, that's when this movie came out, like 2011 or something. But I think most people were like, eh, like it's unnecessary, right? Yeah. And then there's a Showtime show, which has the same name, but I don't think the plot is that similar. Yeah, I read about the plot and it was kind of maybe the same characters, but a totally different setup and plot and situation. So I don't even really feel like it's an adaptation of this book. Additionally, there is a a stage play adaptation, which (laughs) I came across when I was like trying to find images for our posts. Wow. Uh, So yeah, just obviously this uh, story just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because... You know, it did come out around the same time as Twilight was coming out. Yes. Which is a very unique contrast, I think. (laughs) That's very accurate. (laughs) There is one line in this movie that's very similar to the one Twilight line. Yes. Where Ely is like, I'm 12 years old. And I've been 12 years old for a long time. Yes, very, uh, how long have you been 17? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But let's get into the, uh, the story and the setup here. Let's start with our main character, Oscar, and this story takes place in Sweden in a suburb around the 80s, sometime in the 80s. Yes. And Oscar is 12 years old, and he lives with his mom. His parents are divorced or separated. They don't live together. And he he seems kind of young for his age, and he also is being bullied a lot at school. Yes, like really mercilessly bullied. Uh, we kind of only get one incident in the film where he's kind of hit with sticks, right? Which is a pretty sad scene, but there's like a lot more in the book, and it's like really, really dark. Yeah, not just physical, but like mental humiliation. They make him squeal like a pig, and, right? And just like his mental space when it's happening, like... If he manages to evade the bullies, he almost feels worse that it, he didn't just, like, get it over with, you know? Yeah. Like, this kid's life is, like, so sad. Yeah, and obviously he has a lot of, like, messed up stuff going on because of the bullying. Um, And I'm not sure if they are related, but he does have a murder scrapbook, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> and he has, he, like, stole, like, a hunting knife from a store and he, like, goes to, like, the woods to a tree that he stabs and is, like kind of fantasizing about like stabbing his bullies right yeah when he looks at the murder scrapbook he is thinking about all these murders that have happened and serial killers and the book makes a comment from his perspective in his mind that like maybe that'll be you someday yeah 
And I'm like, that's a weird thought for a 12-year-old to have. It is. And <laughs> I, I really like, though, how you're kind of wondering, is this a normal reaction for a kid to have who's so, like, mercilessly, like, picked on and kind of isolated and doesn't have any friends, you know? Like, is this kind of something that hopefully he'll just kind of grow out of, right? Or is this actually the beginning of, like, a serial killer? Yeah, good question. And I think the book is sort of asking that here. And we kind of wonder throughout the story what's going to happen to Oscar and, and kind of is he destined to become a murderer? I also think uh, his haircut raises a lot of <laughs> questions in the film, too. Uh, you know, it, it's cl- clearly one of the sources of his bullying, right? Yeah, it's like a shaggy bowl cut with bangs. And I can't help but get, like, No Country for Old Men vibes, like yeah. Javier Bardem <laughs> vibes, like if he kept that into adulthood and did become a serial killer, you know, except he's very blonde. Yes. <laughs> the Swedish version. The Swedish version, yes. It is very funny. Um, But yeah, so he kind of has a sad life. He's very lonely and is being bullied and potentially has the potential to become a murderer later on in life. Yes. Uh, The kind of Story kicks in, though, when there is a new uh, family that moves into his little residential community of apartments. And it's a young girl around his age and her father. (laughs) We're not totally sure what the dynamic is right off the bat, Uh, but they just move in right next door to Oscar. Yes. And uh, thus begins our butchering of Swedish name pronunciations. Oh, yeah. So here we are. Um, the girl's name, from what we could tell from watching the movie, is Ely. Yes, which is funny because you were saying Eli. Yeah. And I was saying Ellie. And we were both wrong. It's like a mashing of the two. It's Ely. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to try to say that. Um, the man who's with her, his name is um, Hoken. Yeah. I think, I, th- I think that's or right. Hakan, um, or something like that. Um, so here we go. Here yes. we go with the names again. <laughs> the thing we know right off the bat, though, in basically both versions, is that this girl is a vampire. Yes. Uh, like there's kind of very little mystery surrounding it, at least for the viewer. Obviously, Oscar is a little slower on the take, you know, to like yeah. figure this out. But uh, we know pretty quickly that like something is up, especially when they move in and immediately tape up the windows. Yeah. I mean, even reading the book, you know, right? I mean, on the covers of these, it's very suggestive. You know what you're getting into. So it's not a spoiler to say, oh, Ely's a vampire, right? Um, so we find out through the book and through the movie that... Ely and Hoken are not actually father and daughter. No. And in fact, their dynamic is complicated. Now, the book really dives into this. The film only loosely maybe kind of alludes to this, but really not at all, which I think is kind of a mistake to a degree because you're kind of left wondering, like, who is this? Who man? is this man? Like, how did he get involved with her? What does he get out of this relationship? I think you kind of feel bad for him mm-hmm. in moments in the movie. Yeah, because it feels like she's ignoring him and being mean to him and yelling at him. Um, and he seems sad. But when you know what's going on in the book, you're like, Oh, it's not sad because he's a pedophile. Yeah. There's only like one moment in the film when he seems like jealous of Ely hanging out with Oscar. And the moment when she like 
caresses his face a little bit. Yeah. That's it. And I think that it would be a pretty big leap to like infer what their dynamic would be. It could be overlooked. Yes. The book, however, is overt about this basically from the beginning. Uh, Hoken is like you said, a pedophile. And this is like such kind of an interesting dynamic because he isn't actually getting like anything from Ely. It's maybe more of like the possibility in the future. Yeah. That he's like wanting. But for the moment, like she's like, uh, just do my bidding. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. And yeah, it's more like just being around her. Yes. And we're told as well in the book how they met. And it wasn't that long ago that they met. No. Right? Like, he was has been a pedophile for a long time um, and has his life has been upended because of it, right? And Ely kind of finds him and takes him under her wing and is like, you're going to be with me now. Yeah. And I just want to read a part from um, Hawkins' perspective here. Um, this is when Ely and Oscar are kind of becoming closer and he's feeling more jealous, but we kind of get some insight into their relationship a little bit here. Replaceable. He was replaceable. Last night he had been lying in his bed with the window cracked, listening to Ely saying goodbye to that Oscar. Their high voices, laughter, a lightness he could never achieve. His was the leaden seriousness, the demands, the desire. He had thought his beloved was like him. He had looked into Ely's eyes and seen an ancient person's knowledge and indifference. At first it had frightened him, Samuel Beckett's eyes in Audrey Hepburn's face. Then it had reassured him. It was the best of all possible worlds, the young, lithe body that gave beauty to his life, while at the same time responsibility was lifted from him. He was not the one in charge, and he did not have to feel guilt for his desire. His beloved was older than he, no longer a child. At least he had thought so. So it goes on to kind of talk about how Ely changes being with Oscar and starts acting more like a kid. But I think this part in the book is very interesting because, you know, Hawkins' like perspective of like, oh, I can be a pedophile with Ely because Ely's not actually a 12-year-old kid, right? Yeah. I'm not actually doing anything wrong. And it's very unsettling. It's very dark, right? There is also a part where uh, Hoken visits a child prostitute. And although he doesn't end up going through with anything, he goes right up to that line. And it's like a very dark and disturbing scene. Yes. But in some ways, I, I, I can't say what its intent is. But for me, like his relationship with Ely is like this kind of weirdly idyllic circumstance for him like you just read you know he's like oh she's not actually a child right yeah and for the reader it could almost be like a way of explaining away this like really disturbing dynamic but in that one scene when he meets like an actual like child in this situation it's very gross and dark and it i to me it shines a light on like hey this is actually like what is going on in the world right and like mm-hmm. what it actually means to take advantage of a child like this yeah and so to me it's kind of being like all right we're going to have this like interesting dynamic with Ely but like don't forget what it's really like in the yeah. real world yeah for sure i do think it's interesting that this is the setup and that a creature like Ely would find someone like this yeah, and would maybe like seek him out and be like, oh, this guy can help me, right? Well, and additionally too, like Hoken is 
like, I mean, first of all, he's kind of honestly also disgusted by his own desires, too. So there's like this weird conflict. Not that he hasn't like committed crimes in the past. Right. But he actually doesn't even get to like fulfill anything with Ely. Like Ely is very much like keeping him dangling like the whole time. And like so it's not even a dynamic that like ends up rewarding him at all, right? Yeah. Yeah, nothing is really actualized between them physically, as no. far as we know from what we're told in the book. Yeah. Yeah, but like we said, this is only very, very lightly alluded to in the movie, and I think it can be confusing as to, like, why they're together, what he gets out of being with her, what she gets out of being with him, and, like, kind of the past, like, their past together. Yeah, because I don't think you have to go, like, super dark and graphic with it to at least allude to what the dynamic is in the film. Yes. And as we're talking about Hoken and, like, his whole dynamic with Ely, uh, we see his role in her life, right? Um, he commits a murder, and he's getting blood for her. Yes. I really like the way in the book this first murder coincides with Oscar's character like Oscar's in the woods stabbing at a tree imagining himself as a serial killer and then we see Hoken actually in the woods actually like killing a person yeah yeah and there's almost a moment where you wonder if they're in the same place right like he'll get Oscar yeah yeah um and it's funny later because when Oscar reads about these headlines in the newspaper in the book, he's like, did I do it somehow? Yeah. Did me stabbing the tree end up killing someone in the <laughs> in the world, right? Yeah. Very uh, 12-year-old thought, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but like his whole, it's not just murder for the sake of it. He's getting blood. And he finds someone, in the book, it's a, a, a young boy, like what, early teens? Yeah. In the film, it looks like an adult man. It does. But then later, they're like, he killed a boy. And I was like, what boy? Was he like 17 and like six feet tall? Maybe he was a tall 16-year-old. Like I a don't teenager? Know. I don't know. Because like the the scene is shot from very far back, so it's really hard to see the person. But I assumed it was an adult man. Yeah, he uses like uh, gas that he puts over this boy's face. So it incapacitates him. And then he strings him up and cuts his throat and drains the blood. And we find out specifically in the book later that Ely needs the blood to be taken from someone who's alive. Yeah. That if that person is dead, that she cannot drink the blood. Um, which is why all the theatrics for this. In the book, he's able to do this successfully and leaves and everything's fine. He gives the blood to Ely. But in the movie, he is interrupted <laughs> by a very cute white poodle named Ricky. <laughs> this is like, it's played off almost comedically. It is. Like the dog is kind of away from the owners. The owners are like shouting for it. And the dog just stops like six feet away from Hoken as he's like draining the blood. Yeah. And he's like, get out of here. <laughs> but like the dog's not, it's just sitting there. Yeah. And obviously like killing the dog wouldn't even solve his problems. So he's just like trying to hurry up. And the dog just sits there like a statue the oh whole gosh, time. Like it's, it's really funny. Darkly comedic. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was wondering in this scene, it seems like he's very close to a road. Like you can see cars going by in the distance. He has no coverage in those woods. And I'm like, what? Why are you doing this here? Like you imagine in the book, he's in a thicket. He's kind of obscured. Right? Yeah. It, it, like he's in a, like a field of like birch trees that like anyone can see through for like a mile. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know how he chose this location. <laughs> Yeah, but in the movie, he's interrupted. He has to run away, and he doesn't take the blood with him. And so Ely doesn't get the blood. No. 
no snack for Ely. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Oscar meeting Ely at this point. Yeah. Uh, Oscar is outside at their little like playground by the apartment buildings. And he first sees Ely standing on the jungle gym, which is a very like, although in the film, it's like a very tiny little. It's a short. It's a very gym. small one. <laughs> but uh, it's it's cinematic in your head when you're reading it. A little less so in the uh, in the film. But he notices like, oh, she's like just in a light sweater and it's like really cold out. And at first she's kind of like distant and just observing him. Uh, and their interactions are like, she's like, I can't be friends with you. Yeah. He's like, all right. They're like, very like oppositional. Like you leave. No, you leave. Like I was here first. Very much like kids of that age, like getting to know each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very funny. But the two of them do start talking and Ely is fascinated by Oscar's Rubik's Cube that he has one night while he's hanging out there by himself. And she likes puzzles. She tells him that she likes puzzles and he lends it to her. And when they meet again, she solved it. And so obviously she has a very like kind of puzzle oriented mind. Yes. Let's go to another group of main characters in this story who I, in my notes, titled The Bar Boys. <laughs> the Bar Boys? The Bar Boys. I just called them The Gang. The Gang. I also wrote The Gang at points. But mm-hmm. It is a group of uh, middle-aged men who... And one woman. And one woman. Excuse, there is a woman in the mix uh, who occupy mostly a Chinese restaurant slash bar. And they're just kind of like all... Losers. Losers. (laughs) (laughs) Like, none of them really have steady work. They just kind of, like, drink the night away together. You know, like, a lot of them are, like, sloppy drunks. And I found this to be a really interesting, like, to me, I felt like the author was maybe saying something about Sweden at this time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think every country has its own specific complicated relationship with alcohol right that might change like in america you might think of like wine moms or like in the uk you might think of like the pub scene yeah um but like it felt like something kind of like maybe specific to sweden and maybe in the 80s even yeah well and the author actually grew up in this town real okay yeah and i know some of it was shot there um not a lot but you know if this author is writing about the 80s in a town that he grew up in, you know, I'm guessing that a lot of these things felt very familiar to him, right? Yes. And were very, like, symbolic of how he grew up. And yeah, I find this really interesting, this group of kind of lowlifes, right? But getting to see their interior lives, right? We follow um, a few of them as they think about, like, what they want to do with their life, their goals. Like, some of them do want to, like, change things around, right? We have um, Jock, who is considering taking a trip somewhere. We have uh, Lake and Virginia, who are, like, kind of a couple, but can't quite make it work. And the two of them almost, like, want to be together, but their own, like, shit gets in the way, right? Yeah. And I like there's, like, six or seven of them in total, to the point where, like, you can't quite keep track of, like, who's who or, like, any characteristics of them, but I like that it feels like a a robust group of people, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, Jock is not long for this world. Yes. Uh, In the book, we have this whole internal monologue of his where he's like, going to change his life around. He's going to take a trip. He's (laughs) going to like do something new. And and, you're like, he's about to die. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And he's uh, going under an underpass and he hears the sad calling of a young girl asking for help. Yes. 
and he goes to help. I know. It's very sad. It is. And of course, it's Ely. Yeah. And she says she can't walk. And so uh, Jock uh, bends over and picks her up Mm -hmm. and right within biting distance. Clamps down. Clamps down and he doesn't have a chance. Yeah. He's dead. Uh, We see also that she twists his head kind of like around, right? Snapping his neck. Which I wasn't even thinking about at the time that it happened, right? Like Mm -hmm. I thought maybe she's like putting him out of his misery or something, but there's more to that. Yeah. There was a moment earlier too in the book only where it seems like maybe Ely was going to eat Oscar. Yeah. Which I found found really interesting. There's a comment that he makes – to her in both the book and the movie when they're hanging out one night where he's like, you smell. Or like, what's that weird smell? Yeah. And then later she has like showered and she comes and she's like, do I smell better? And you're like, oh, is she like, does she like him? And then in the book, she's doing it so that he'll come closer to her. Yeah. And she, it seems like she's going to maybe attack him and he reaches up and he touches her cheek. And it kind of catches her off guard and she ends up leaving. Yeah, like an affectionate gesture. And she's, like you said, startled, like not expecting it. Mm -hmm. And she leaves. And that's when she decides to like go elsewhere for food and ends up killing Jock. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Jock Jock gets killed. And then uh, Hoken has to dispose of the body. And he kind of dumps him in a lake that's frozen over. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say unfortunately, but not unfortunately, there was a witness to this crime. A man in his apartment, just a man in his 30, 40 cats, you know, <laughs> there were actually many witnesses, Adina, many cats also, many cats also witnessed saw this the crime. crime. <laughs> yeah, Gusta, who is a crazy cat man. Yes, but he saw like a young person in the underpass and like the attack. And I kind of like in the film, it kind of condenses a lot of this into like a single night where Gosta immediately goes to the group of friends at the bar and is like, I think I saw Jock attacked and they go. But by that point, like the body's already disappeared, but they find traces of blood and they're not really sure what happened. Right. Like yeah. Ghosta just knows that he saw a child mm-hmm. in the book. It's like more spread out across days where Ghosta doesn't come to the friends doesn't tell anyone until like three or four days later. He's like, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's implied to be a little bit off right and he's afraid they want him to go to the police and and say what he saw and he's like they won't believe me like i get really scared like he seems kind of like a shut-in yes absolutely like right? a, a recluse and like with some undiagnosed stuff going on um with him so he doesn't want to go to the cops but this this group of friends is like well if jock is really missing like we have to figure something out and lake specifically um, was really good friends with Jock and is really devastated about all this. Yeah. Let's uh, go back to Oscar and Ely, though, who continue to see each other outside around the playground and kind of start to develop a stronger bond. Yeah, they're spending time together. They're giggling. They have jokes. They run around kind of the neighborhood together. Um, Oscar looks at Morse code because their apartments are actually next to each other so he can tap on the wall in morse code and they can send messages back and forth which is so cute it's really cute and like also seems like something that would be really fun for a kid to do right absolutely i love this and at one point ely actually comes into oscar's window at night and asks him say 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 i can come in yeah 
And Oscar says yes, and she crawls into bed with him and has also, like, taken off, like, all of her clothes. And they're kind of just, like, laying there together and kind of, like, talking, right? And in the book, they end up just, like, staying up late and, like, looking at Oscar's stuff and just kind of, like, hanging out, right? Yeah. But it's, like, a very intimate moment between them, right? And at one point, Oscar asks, can we go steady? Yeah. And Ely's like, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what do you want? And he's like, no, it's like nothing. Like, it would literally just be the same. Mm-hmm. Like, with, with what we have now. And Ely's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I love this because on one hand, it like, your initial reaction is like, it's funny, right? Yeah. That, like, a 12-year-old's idea of going steady is just like, let's be friends, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's very cute and sweet. But, like, it's also... I don't want to say deep, but the idea that he's like, I like being with you. Yeah. And that's what I want, right? Like, what we have now, I really enjoy. And he has no ulterior motives, nothing else that he, like, wants out of this relationship. Yeah, I mean, she crawls into bed with no clothes on and they don't touch each other. No. Right? Like, it doesn't seem very sexual. It's very innocent in a lot of ways. And she does tell him, though, she says something like, what if I'm not a girl? And later she says, I'm not really a girl. And Oscar doesn't really press this. At one point she says, like, I'm nothing. Um, And so you're not exactly sure what to make of this. And it's a little bit confusing. She also, though, encourages him because he tells her about the bullying to stand up to the bullies. Yes, which I found really interesting because I only had, like, honestly, I didn't remember much about when we first watched this movie and I forgot a lot of the plot points. And in my head, I'm like, Bullied boy befriends vampire, vampire kills his yeah. <laughs> bullies, right? Like, that's naturally what's going to happen. But I actually really like that Ely is like, you have to stand up to them. Like, you have to fight back. Like, hit them back. Hit them harder than you would dare to hit them. Yeah. Because, like, that's what it's you gonna need to do. It's going to scare them off. Yeah. And I, I like this pep talk that she gives him, right? It mm-hmm. actually encourages Oscar to go to his gym teacher and ask about this, like, after school like weightlifting training thing that the teacher runs. Uh, And so he starts going to that. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely encouraging Oscar to stand up for himself, to try to be better and to try to like live a different life. Right. Yeah. I do want to talk about the child actors in the movie here. We have uh, Kare Hedebrandt who plays Oscar and Lena Lee Anderson who plays Ely. Um, I find their dynamic really, really interesting. I really love, and I I read that the director and the casting people were like, we really wanted like a contrast visually between them. Mm -hmm. So we have Oscar, this very blonde child, right? And then we have this very dark haired girl um, feeling like opposites. What's really interesting though, and I read about this, was that they felt that Lena's voice was too high for what they wanted. And they actually had a grown woman, um, Elif Silan, dub all her lines. I read that too. And they said, like, the woman who dubbed the lines, like, her voice was maybe a little deeper and maybe a little bit more androgynous. And also, like, in parts where she's a little bit more, like, feral or scary, like, it added a little bit of... A Gravity? A little bit more fear, yeah, to the scene. Yeah. I, I mean, like... Probably the language barrier makes it easier to not notice to not know. But I didn't notice her lines were dubbed at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting because when we first started playing the movie, it started playing in an English dub. And we were like, no, no, no. We want to listen to like the Swedish 
voices yeah. with the uh, English subtitles. And I'm really glad we did because of this dubbing, right? Yes. I wanted to hear the the particular voice that I knew had been overdubbed over the child actor. So yeah, super interesting. And I also really like kind of the style and the way they like dress and just kind of present these characters, right? Because Oscar has this shaggy haircut. He's always wearing these like sweaters and these tight like jeans, right? He has (laughs) cowboy boots at one point. He feels very like almost suburban kid, right? A little bit awkward too. Yeah, for sure. And then Ely is just wearing like pajamas most of the time or just stuff that's like very kind of random, um, she's often not wearing like a coat. Her hair is kind of like in a disarray a lot. And then in a lot of scenes, she has blood on her mouth. Uh, blood all over <laughs> her constantly. At least throughout half of the movie, she's covered in blood. Yeah. And I find the like visualness, like how striking that is with like her dark hair and like pale skin yes. and the blood. It's very good. It made me want to make my like own fan poster for this movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the girl who plays Ely does a great job. I'm a, I'm a little bit more mixed on the boy playing Oscar. Because I mean, I think in a lot of ways his performance is very natural. Like he's very subdued. He's not doing a lot of acting, which in a lot of ways I think works it does. throughout a lot of the movie, right? He feels kind of like a natural, slightly shy, socially awkward boy, right? There are a few times, though, like when the bullies are like going to attack him things that you would think would invoke more fear where he feels maybe a little bit wooden. Yeah. At points where maybe that lack of like acting, I think, doesn't work quite as much. I think Ely's a little bit more balanced with it. She feels natural, but is able to convey a lot of the intensity better, I think. Yeah. Um, But I mean, for the most part, I think both actors do a good job of like carrying the film. For sure. For sure. Uh, Let's talk about uh, another... Hoken murder, oh, right? God. Well, attempted, attempted murder. Attempted murder. Uh, he, it's like a whole, it's such a terrible plan in the book because he's like, I'm going to go into this like YMCA type pool area and he has like a changing room and he is like, I'm going to kidnap a kid and like do the whole bloodletting in the changing room because the kid will be knocked out from the gas. So I'll be able to do it like all in there. Right. Yeah. But he has to wear like a ski mask walking up to the pool. So no one will recognize him. And then there are people in like the locker room. So he can't like start draining the blood right away. He has to wait till everyone's like out of the locker room. Like it's a terrible plan. (laughs) And unfortunately during the plan, uh, the kid wakes up and starts shouting for help. And then men are trying to bust the door down. The film is similar. He's like, is he at this? He's not at the school. I think it's like a similar. It looks like a gym. Yeah, like a similar thing where it's like a gym with a pool. Uh, but the kid's friends are looking for him and start banging on the door. And the kid wakes up and starts calling for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Hoken gave up pretty quickly in this yeah. situation. I'm like, you've got a couple like teenage boys blocking yeah. your way. Yeah, you like, could probably. Just run for it, man. <laughs> I feel like at that point, he's like, I just don't want to do this again. No, he's like uh, acid immediately, (laughs) like like, straight to the acid. Yes, he went straight for the, he didn't even like give it a second thought. No, he's been saving some acid specifically because he doesn't, well, he's okay with being caught, but he doesn't want his face to be tracked to where Ely is. 
um, it could put her in danger. And so he throws some acid on his face, horribly disfiguring himself. But unfortunately, he is still alive. He does not manage to kill himself. Yeah. Uh, the descriptions in the book of what the acid did to him. I don't like it, Ian. Are so horrifying. Just parts of him melted, parts of his insides exposed. He's got like one eye. Yeah. Only one ear. Like his mouth is like sealed shut. Very dark. It's not good. He is in the hospital for a while. And in the book, we have like kind of extended scenes of him trying to kill himself and the hospital staff won't let him. Police coming in to question him. The movie very smartly, I think, cuts this short. And it's just like, okay, let's just show Ely coming to see him, right? Yeah, in the book, they're like, good news. The doctors managed to graft some skin from your back onto your eyelid so you can blink again. You can close your eye. Your one eye that's left. (laughs) And he's, they're like, but you still can't talk, don't worry. Uh, So yeah, like his life is a living hell. Ely does go to the hospital I love there's a great shot. She asks uh, the woman at the desk what like floor her dad might be on because he came in. He was like injured and the woman tells her. And this is only alluded to in the book that like the woman goes out back out to look for Ely because she wasn't wearing shoes and she was worried about her and she can't find her. In the film, we get this great shot (laughs) of when the woman's looking for her. You see the hospital behind her and you just see. At first, you don't notice anything, but after no. the woman goes back in, suddenly a shadow moves, and it's Ely, and she's, like, scaling the side of the building. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a great shot. A great it's so shot. good. Yeah. He's able to open the window for her, and in the book, he specifically makes it known that he wants her to kill him, drink from him, and kill him. In the movie, it just seems like she just goes right in for it, right? Yeah. She just starts drinking him immediately. She's like, I mean, he's if he says no, I'll stop. I, I don't know <laughs> what the agreement is or how they're communicating necessarily. She does drink from him, and then he just throws himself out of the window. Yeah. Was his plan in the book to be changed? No. I think he, he was waiting for her to kill him. But in the book, they're interrupted by the security guard. Okay. So she has to, like, run away. She doesn't have time to, like, snap his neck or do whatever she was going to do. Okay. See, I kind of thought maybe he wanted to be changed, but... I think he wanted to die. Okay. The whole him not being able to talk and it all being inferred, (laughs) like, is a little... It is confusing. uh, In both versions, he throws himself out the window. Once again... The shot in the film of the body just dropping 10 stories and he like bounces off of like an overhang. I mean, it's obviously just like a rag doll, but it looks great. Yeah. Uh, This movie does a lot of practical effects like really, really well. But in the book, this was not enough to kill him because now he has vampire blood coursing through his veins. Yes. And the reason why Ely like 360'd Jock's head after she drank from him was because I guess when she bites someone, she can infect them and they can become a vampire too. Which I kind of makes sense because that's like how you, I mean, I know the mythology changes from different stories, but like, like the whole idea of infection is like also you drinking from them. So it makes sense. You're like, I can't have this person coming back. Right. Mm-hmm. There's also another woman in the book, an old woman who she uh, drinks from and then sets her house on fire. So the woman burns to death <laughs> before she can come back as a vampire. Yeah. Which is the real clue in that you're like, oh, she's stopping these people from coming back. Right. Mm-hmm. So Hoken, uh, his body 
which was already a catastrophe. Yeah, he had acid on his face. Then he jumped from like seven stories and splattered on the pavement. Yeah. Still not dead, Ian. So they scrape him up (laughs) and the coroner of the hospital is like, I'll just take him straight into the basement, right? We get a really creepy scene. And by the way, this is only in the book. Yeah. After Hoken jumps out of the window in the film. That's it. He's done. He's gone. We never see him again. He's just dead. Uh, But in the book... Uh, the coroner is his first victim because Hoken comes back to life and just rips this man apart. Yeah. Eats him. Eats him. And then flees. Like there's one scene of like him on a bridge and a guy almost hits him with his car. And then he's like, what the fuck is that? And he like goes <laughs> home and calls the cops and the cops figure out that this is that man who poured <laughs> acid on his face and jumped seven stories out of a window and he's still alive. Yeah. And so like it begins this whole police search like in the woods where they know he is like trying to find him and like it's a multi-day search and they just can't find where the fuck this guy is yeah the book very heavily implies that he is not like sentient or aware in any way that basically his brain is dead but he's a zombie yeah the book kind of adds this mythology through another character who becomes a vampire that like you develop a kind of tumor on your heart that's essentially brain cells and that your body, your conscious mind can die. But like this tumor, this like virus, almost like this animal kind of craving machine will just keep going. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's all that Hoken is now. He's just this like mindless brain dead zombie. Yeah. So that's happening. It's very disturbing. It's very dark. <laughs> Uh, so while all this is going on, we also have a different side plot in the book involving this character, Tommy, who I totally get why he's cut from the movie because he's not important enough, I think, to include when you're streamlining the story this much. But honestly, he was kind of like my low key favorite character in this book. Tommy's great. Tommy is a little bit older than Oscar, like 16, lives in the same apartment complex And he's kind of a juvenile delinquent. Yeah. Like, early on in the story, he had, like, robbed, like, what, a radio supply store and was just, but, like, just for the fun of it. Yeah. Like, he, he like, sold Oscar a Walkman, but kind of didn't have plans for anything else. And he has, like, I think in the apartment building, each unit has, like, a basement storage unit Mm -hmm. and he converted his families into like a hangout space for him and his friends where they just like sniff glue and get high yeah tommy is going through a very common uh challenge for uh a young man which is his mom is remarrying because his dad died Mm -hmm. uh years ago and his mom is remarrying and she's marrying a cop yeah And this guy kind of sucks. No, he really sucks. This is how we are kind of connected to the police investigation because uh, Stefan, who, or Stefan, who is the police officer that his mom is dating, is very heavily involved in this whole manhunt for this zombie, right? Yeah. But yeah, he's just, the police officer is just like, he's super religious. Super religious. But he's also like really full of himself and kind of loves being a cop because it gives him power, right? He loves having power over Tommy's mom and Tommy and is kind of just itching for them to actually be married so he can start, like, 
telling Tommy actually what to do right yeah. now. Like I, there's I, this like thin veneer, like separating his authority and Tommy right now. And I think Tommy knows that like the second they get married, it's going to get a lot worse for him. I kind of like how that unfolds slowly. Like at first you're like, mm, this stepdad's a cop and like a super religious one. Like I don't trust him. But at first he's like, you know, like Tommy steals this trophy of his early on and he's mad about it. But he's like, you know, my trophy hasn't turned up, but maybe we'll just forget about it, yeah. huh, kiddo? Like, it seems like he's maybe trying. And so at first you're like, I mean, how deserving is this guy of, like, Tommy's, like, disdain? But then as time goes on, he, like, shows his true colors more and more. Yeah. And uh, Tommy <laughs> tries to, he, he, he pulls a big prank. He d he tells uh, staff and like, hey, I want to go to church with you and like mom someday. And he's like, sure. And then they go to the church, which is a Catholic church, I'm guessing. And Tommy like lights off some kind of like smoke bomb, smoke bomb in like this. I, I forget what it's the called. The christening font. The christening font. <laughs> he like pours powder in it and lights off like this that like fills the whole church with smoke. Everybody has to evacuate. Everyone evacuates. Staffan knows it was Tommy, but Tommy flees. Yeah. And I just kind of like how Tommy's at an age, which isn't that far from Oscar, but is very different where like, you know, this whole idea of like him sniffing glue and kind of being a loser and getting high in the basement and stuff. You can start to quickly see how that could easily become the rest of his life. Yeah. And I think this is an interesting contrast to the gang, right? Yes. Seeing this group of middle-aged to even later-aged men and women who, like, feel regrets about their life and wish they had done things differently or want to turn things around but don't know how because they're, like, stuck in these patterns. And you see that for Tommy and you hope that he's able to pull himself out of it. And you can see, like, glimmers of goodness in him right he's really nice to oscar and yeah. he knows that oscar is bullied and so he kind of like tries to help him out sometimes yeah yeah i like that he's i mean not like he he doesn't try that hard to help oscar but like i think he uh empathizes with him and like tries to help him out you know what i mean so he, you can tell like he's a decent person but you kind of just don't know where his life is going yeah and at this time, Oscar is deciding to take Ely's advice about standing up to his bullies, bullies to heart. Yes. And they're all skating around on the lake one day for school or recess or gym class or something. And the bullies come up to him and they're like, we're going to throw you in the ice pit. <laughs> <laughs> Straight in. And Oscar just like looks around, grabs a big stick and is like, fucking try it, basically. <laughs> There's a bit more of a skirmish in the book, but I love in the film, it's just this wide shot of Oscar and Johnny. And Oscar just swings whacks him, whacks him just right in the head. And there, it's kind of like, this moment of like there's no reaction at first and then Johnny just collapses just like screaming ah! <laughs> like falls to the ground it's like gets him right in the ear oh yeah it's like it's so realistic though to when you get hurt like that sometimes especially as a kid where it's just a moment of shock yeah and then you're like oh my god I'm hurt <laughs> 
I just, the way it was filmed was like so funny. I like know. it's so. Something about it. Like it's so sterile or matter of fact and just how it's depicted, right? Yeah. And at the same time that this chaos is happening, uh, some of the younger kids have discovered a body in the lake. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jock, who was tossed in the, the lake by Hoken has been frozen like where the top of his head or top of his body is like visible and some yeah. kids find it <laughs> so what a day yeah. what a day out Lots for all of these trauma children for everyone i kind of love though how what oscar did to johnny is kind of overshadowed by the body being found yeah because then the cops show up yes so like i mean people care what oscar did but also kind of like not as much as <laughs> they probably would have otherwise yeah oscar is super excited about this he can't wait to tell ely they go down to the basement and they're actually i think in tommy's hideout which we never meet Tommy or have any storyline with him in the movie. So they're just kind of in this basement area together. And Oscar's like, oh, do you want to do something? And doesn't tell Ely what it is and just cuts his hand. And is like, we're going to do a blood pact. This is a, a, a trend or a cliche in movies of kids like doing blood packs, right? Yeah, who does blood who, packs? I, maybe I'm just like... Maybe this was only in the 80s, Ian. Maybe. <laughs> maybe kids these days just don't understand. Kids these days. Slicing open your hand. Ugh, and they'll never know the thrill of slicing <laughs> open your hand and mingling your blood with another's. <laughs> you see it in so many movies, though, and I'm like, I would have never done this as a no. kid. Slice my own hand open and then, like, mush it with someone else's bloody Ew, hand. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, AIDS probably has a lot to do with it as well. I, I mean, kids I, probably don't have AIDS, but so awareness over of bodily blood related fluids, diseases, right? yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Oscar just slices open his hand. And, of course, Ely is like, oh, fuck. Get away from the blood. Me. Yeah, yeah, wants the blood. And Oscar's like freaked out, like what's going on? Like it talks about in the book how her body is like contorting mm -hmm. and she starts to like lap up the blood that like ran off of his hand. Yeah. And she has enough self-control to tell Oscar to like leave. Mm -hmm. And then she flees, right? Yeah. And Oscar's like, something different about that girl. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed weird. I can't quite put my finger on it. <laughs> Maybe it was the sucking the blood off the floor. Something along those lines. Something is wrong I'm going to have to mull over this one. <laughs> I'm only 12 years old. <laughs> Around this time, though, the, 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 the gang, the... The gang. The bar boys. Yeah. Plus one girl. <laughs> they're at Ghosta's house. Because I guess Ghosta is now just a part of the gang. Yes. Ever since he witnessed Jock's murder. He's they're, an honorary member now. Which, like, they go to his, like really gross filthy cat house to just like <laughs> hang out and drink now which is kind of odd but they're all there lackey's like really upset about jock being discovered dead he's like really torn up about it, it was his best friend and virginia who like we said has been like his on and off again like partner girlfriend type relationship is trying to comfort him and he's just like i have nobody now there's not a single person in my life who, like, I want to be with anymore. Yeah. And she's upset. And she says, 
I mean, it, it goes a little bit differently in the book and the movie, but, but she's basically trying to reach out to him and be like, I'm here for you. And he kind of shuts her down. In the book, he like specifically says that she's a whore and sleeps around and it's just really awful to her. So she storms out of the apartment and leaves and he immediately regrets it. And he's going after her and he's following her through the snow. It's nighttime. And she's far enough away that he sees something jump down from the tree and attack her. Spoiler alert, it's Ely. Yes. The book actually tells us about how Ely can make her body into different shapes. I find this really interesting. Yeah. And it kind of like makes sense within the idea of vampire mythology, like the idea of sprouting wings or like growing claws or even just the idea of like your teeth turning into fangs like or healing right like the idea to heal your body faster like she kind of has a control over her body that's like obviously supernatural where she can kind of like contort it and change it right Mm -hmm. so she's got like claws and fangs and like like talons on her feet right (laughs) she drops down on virginia and like bites into her neck right yeah luckily lackey's like not far behind and he's able to go up and kick Yeah, he just, like, kicks her right off. Just punts her, like, 20 (laughs) feet off of Virginia. (laughs) And it's enough to have two people there that Ely is, like, uh, scared away, right? Mm -hmm. And Lackey takes uh, Virginia to the hospital, and or at least back to her apartment, and they Mm -hmm. get her bandaged up because it's not, like, too severe of um, a wound. Yeah, but unfortunately, Virginia realizes that she's not feeling well, Ian. Oh, God. And in fact, somehow the sunlight hurts her. I, the <laughs> moment, I was so worried Virginia was going to die because I'm like, oh, no, like, Lackey's other, like, uh, I keep, I, I it sounds so weird calling him Lackey. I'm sure that's how you pronounce it. I think it. it's Lackey. Lackey? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Lackey. <laughs> uh, like, Lackey's best friend was just killed and now, like, this woman who he cares about was also going to die. But then she didn't. And I was yeah. like, oh, thank God Virginia's not dead. And two seconds later, I'm like, oh, no, she's going to be a vampire <laughs> now. I was, like, so upset about it. Yeah. I mean, the movie doesn't get into it too much. We see her, obviously, reacting to the sunlight. The book really gets into the process of transformation. Like we were talking about earlier, this idea of, like, the your heart almost having like a sentience or there being like this infection of cells that has its own brain inside of you. Yeah. Um, she uses his words of thinking about what's happening in her and, and being like, I'm no longer alone. Yeah. Like there's something else here with me. At one point she just stops breathing and is like, I'm not breathing right now, but I'm like, fine. Yeah. And this idea that like, if she loses focus, this other part of her will take over. A lot of that's tied into the breathing. Like if she stops breathing, like it will like take over. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it gets real into the details. She even starts like cutting herself to drink her own blood, mm-hmm. which is so dark, but fascinating. Yeah. From like a vampire mythology. Like, cause I've never thought about that, but I'm like, would a vampire be able to drink its own blood? What's stopping it from drinking its own blood? Does right? it even have blood after a while? Yeah. And it almost seems like she runs out of blood. Yes. Or something like it, it's not a long term solution. Right. But she has this like this craving for blood that she's like 
Uh, she's quenching her thirst with her own blood, right? Yeah, she realizes what she is pretty quickly, actually. And then is like, I need to find someone to eat. And so she decides to go to the crazy cat man. She's like, no one will miss him. I don't even really care about him that much. I'm going to eat him and he'll let me in, right? Um, She gets there and she's all set to eat him, but uh, Lackey's there too. And so she's like, oh, shit. And as she's like, oh, no, I don't, I, I need to like back out. This is not a good situation. Suddenly, all the cats are like, what the fuck are you doing here? Huh? Huh? Get, Get the fuck turf. out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> all the cats in the apartment start hissing and going crazy. And I was reading this part before we watched the movie. And this part is so wild. Like, the cats just launch themselves at her. They like, Dig their claws into like her. They're biting her. her. She's just like a mass of like fur of cats like clinging to her. And Lackey's like, oh my, what the fuck is even happening? Like he's trying to kick, kick the cats off of her. And Ghosta's screaming about don't hurt the cats. <laughs> Poor Ghosta is like so upset about the cats being hurt. She ends up in the stairwell and throws herself down the steps. <laughs> a lot of cats are killed in the process. This whole scene is so crazy that i was like it's almost too much but like it kind of works i think in the book yeah and i was shocked when the movie did this scene (laughs) i couldn't believe that the movie went there i know and some of the cats did not look good the cats are very bad the effects are largely good in this movie but the cats mm, not. i mean cgi animals and fur like at this time like honestly given when the movie was, it was made. was like 2008. Yeah, and I don't know what its budget was, but it couldn't have been like that high. It's not bad, but it takes you out of the scene. Yeah. And I'm like, this was a lot to try to do in this movie to have like a bunch of cats attacking her. And yeah. it's also like kind of silly, right? Yeah. Like even in the book, it's a little silly. Like I think it kind of works well enough, but like I don't know if it translates as well to a visual medium. Agreed. Uh, they have to take her take her to the hospital, and she's actually restrained because she's freaking out so much. Um, and Lackey's there with her, and they have these moments together where he's kind of talking about how, you know, seeing you hurt, seeing you suffering, I need, I want to turn things around. I want to make things work with us. My dad left me the stamp collection. I've been hanging on to it. I'm going to sell it, and then we'll have money. Let's go start a new life. We'll buy a house in the countryside. You know, he's painting this picture of this life that he wants with her. And she's kind of like, I need you to kill me. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I'm kind of a vampire now. Yeah. (laughs) And like, he doesn't even know what to make of this at first. He like doesn't even understand. Right. It's so sad. Right. It's so sad to see what's happening to Virginia and how she just wants to end things. Mm-hmm. She gets her chance the next day when a nurse is in her room and it's daytime. And she's like, Hey, could you like lift the blinds up for me? Yeah. And the nurse is like, yeah, sure. Why not? Pulls the blinds up and she combusts into flames. Oh my God. This scene in the movie. Unbelievable. Adina. It's so good. It's I'm like crazy just good. still thinking about it, it. I know it's like lodged in my head, like this column of fire that she turns into and it like reaching the ceiling and like it's kind of a slow push in. And yeah. like it's clearly it could be an animatronic. It might be just a person in like a fireproof suit, 
But there's a person flailing in those flames, too, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, my God. It looks so good. That's the thing, Adina, is there is no replacement, at least yet, for real fire in movies. Yeah. And you know what's funny is I watched this clip from Let Me In, the American remake, on YouTube, and it's CGI fire. Oh, no. And, you know, it's not even bad CGI fire, but it just does not have the impact of real fire in a movie. Like, no CGI fire I've ever seen in a movie compares to, like, when they actually use... And I know there's probably a lot of restrictions. It's probably difficult to actually do something like that. Oh, yeah, incredibly difficult. Yeah, it's probably dangerous, too. But, like, you can't beat the effect. Oh, my gosh. And this scene, just the way she instantly is just, like, in flames. Not just, like, on fire, but just, like, roaring burning bonfire yeah right oh my god if, if you've seen the movie hereditary there's a scene where someone bursts into flames in that movie and this like is double that like it's double the impact and double the effect and it's just it this movie is like a 90 percent for the effects right and that 10 percent is the cats yes <laughs> but everything else is everything like else top is amazing. notch it's so well done absolutely cool uh but as cool as it is, poor Virginia is dead. <laughs> <laughs> but man, did she go out, man, you know? Man, she's dead. And uh, Lackey <laughs> is not doing well, honestly. He talks to his other friends. They're trying to comfort him. They're like, oh, my God, he's lost so much. And he's just like, I'm going to find it, and I'm going to kill it. Yeah. He he kind of has this, like, motivation, right? Yeah. Uh, let's go back to Oscar, who visits his dad. Yeah. He just got spooked by Ely being very weird in the basement with his blood. Yeah. And he's like, this is probably a good time to visit my dad and take some time to think, right? (laughs) I need a little getaway to, like, think about this and process this. So he goes and visits his dad. And, like, things seem great at first. His dad seems like a genuinely good guy. Like, he takes Oscar out, like, sledding. He has, like, a – they keep calling it a moped, but I think it's, like, a snowmobile. Yeah. He, he ties, like, a sled to it. He takes Oscar around. Like, it seems like they're having a great time. Oscar talks about his dad cooking for him. Yeah. Like, and, and they're playing tic-tac-toe later, and they're just bonding and having a great time. And you're mm-hmm. like, I love this. I'm glad Oscar has this. <laughs> yeah, and then Oscar's dad's friend shows up. And it's very weird, like a weird dynamic. And I think it's weird in the movie too. And it starts off in the book with him, Oscar being like, oh, this guy was my enemy. And you're like, what's going on here? And because it just seems like a neighbor stopping by and being like, oh, how's it going? Oh, you guys look so cozy over here. What have you been up to? You know, I see Oscar's in town, like blah, blah, blah. And then the dad's like, oh yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Let me get a drink for you. And they start, you know, having a drink. And then Oscar's like, I knew now that we wouldn't finish the game yeah, and that he wouldn't want to play anymore and that he wouldn't want to talk to me anymore. And you slowly realize in the book that the dad is an alcoholic. Yeah. Like maybe a different kind than the gang is even. It's hard to say. But Oscar is suddenly remembering other times that he's visited. And obviously this guy has shown up in previous visits. Yeah. Like, He probably goes there maybe like every night, like Mm -hmm. who knows? And they get drunk together and Oscar remembers like uh, in the past, like his dad would get drunk and come into his room and he'd be crying and be like, 
I'm sorry, I can't be there for you. And just like putting this emotional weight on Oscar. And I see that you have your book out. (laughs) And I'm guessing you're going to read that part. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to read this part. I thought it was really, really good. He would come into Oscar's room and he would no longer be dad. Just an alcohol stinking, clumsy mess, all sentimental and needy, would want Oscar to get out of bed, needed to talk for a while, about how he still loved mom, how he loved Oscar. Did Oscar love him back? Slurring about all the wrongs he had ever experienced, and in the worst case scenario, get himself worked up, becoming angry. He never got violent or anything, but what Oscar saw in his eyes at those times was the absolute scariest thing he had ever seen, that there was no trace of dad left. Just a monster who had somehow crawled into his dad's body and taken control of it. The person his dad became when he drank had no connection to the person he was when he was sober. And so it was comforting to think about dad being a werewolf. That he in fact contained a whole other person in his body. Just as the moon brought out the wolf in a werewolf, so alcohol brought this creature out of his dad. And so he's kind of thinking about things. He's reading the note that Ely left him. He's considering... You know, the fact that Ely probably is a vampire. And he thinks to himself, there are no vampires. The night was a black cover over the window. Oscar shut his eyes and thought about the route to Stockholm, raced past the houses, the farms, the fields, flew into the courtyard at Blackaberg, in through her window, and there she was. He opened his eyes, stared at the black rectangle of the window. Out there. The Deep Brothers had started a song about a bicycle that got a flat tire. Dad and Jan laughed much too loudly at something. Something fell over. Which monster do you choose? And in this moment, Oscar ends up leaving his dad's house and hitchhiking back home to be with Ely. I love this. And I mean, what a great tie-in to the title of this book, which the title is so good, Let the Right One In. Yeah. Like, obviously, the idea of a vampire needing to be invited in, but the concept of, like let the right one in like there's a good vampire to let in Mm -hmm. and hear him talking about like the monsters that you let into your life. Yes. And here he has his dad, a normal man, but a drunk. Mm -hmm. And then this girl who's a literal monster from a book. Yeah. And him choosing Choosing her. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting scene. Yeah. Um, I really like it in the book, especially like, the reveal of the dad's alcoholism, how mm-hmm. it kind of withholds that until yes, it begins it to happen. Up on you. Yeah. I don't think the movie does this especially well. No. Because this guy shows up, interrupts their night, the dad and him start drinking. And then it's just the the dad just looks sad yeah. for a moment. And Oscar kind of like slinks away into his room. And then Oscar reads the note and then leaves. And I'm yep. like, what? <laughs> what is this dynamic? What's what's up with the dad? Like, is he like, you don't understand that he's an alcoholic. And the movie easily could have done what the book alludes to the dad doing in previous visits where he gets really drunk and starts like bothering Oscar and mm-hmm. like crying. And like they could have had a scene like that to depict what's actually happening. Yeah. Instead, it's like too vague. It's way too vague for not having the interior Of Oscar's thoughts. Yes. Right? We needed something more. And I think sometimes when you have an adaptation, and it's worth noting that the author of this book actually wrote the screenplay for this movie, they stick, they actually stick too closely to beat by beat of the book. Yes, they cut things out, 
But like they don't think about how much more explanation we might need in a visual medium when we don't have the character's thoughts to explain things to us. Absolutely. Like this scene needed to play out differently because like you said, without that internal context, you're kind of left wondering like, what just happened? Like I'm not following. Yeah. So Oscar hitchhikes uh, back home and he goes straight to Ely's mm-hmm. apartment. And I love there's kind of a playful moment where she like invites him in. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And this is where he's like, hey, just like, by the way, like real casually, like you're a vampire, right? Mm-hmm. And she kind of confesses. I mean, I and actually this is the only time in the movie they say the words vampire, which is interesting. Yeah. And. It's kind of explained more thoroughly in the book that she's like, no, not specifically, like very similar, but there are differences. Like, I'm not exactly that, but. Yeah, I drink human blood, right? Yeah, and she kind of explains who she is. And she also, in the book, is able to, they end up kissing for the first time here. And when she kisses him, she can give him memories. Yes. Which is A power that vampires have? Uh, I get there's a lot of vampire powers in this story. But I mean, I have no problems with any of them, but there are a lot. And this is one. I mean, vampires also, it's also implied that she has the ability to like, not control people, but when she goes to that old woman's house earlier in the story, she kind of like coaxes her. her. Yeah, kind of hypnotizes her. So there is some kind of like psychic power there too, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, in in the book, she transfers memories to Oscar. And boy, is this quite a backstory. Essentially, two to three hundred years ago, Ely lived in a village and there was a castle with like a creepy guy who was a vampire. Who was a vampire. And he like rolled dice to like he did a, like a lottery for children, for children in the village yes and Ely's name came up and the reveal during this is that Ely uh is a boy or was born a boy yeah and when Ely's name comes up in the lottery is taken back into the castle and they castrate him yeah in order to drink the blood? It seems like this vampire only liked drinking blood if it came from a penis. I don't know, Ian. I, I, and was the intention to turn him into a vampire also? It's not explained. Yeah, it, it's all very vague. Uh, but it is like a very like heavy and sad and dark yeah, part. Yeah, it's really fucked up. It's really fucked it's up. It's not great reading about. I don't know how necessary this is to the story. The backstory or Ely's entire gender? Um, I think Ely being a boy is interesting. Yeah. Right? Because, and we're going to switch, I guess, to he, to he now. We, we talked about Ely as she because that's how they're known for most of the story. But now in the book, they start to use he for Ely. So we'll switch um, in how we talk about him as well. But... He's at an age where it kind of like almost doesn't matter yet, right? Yeah, like prepubescent. Yeah. Yeah. And also the fact that he's a vampire, when he was saying earlier, I'm not a girl, you're like, well, you're not, you're a vampire. Yes. Right? It's almost like vampire supersedes any gender you could have. So the fact that 
Ely is maybe a girl, maybe a boy, maybe not any of those things, I think is interesting. The whole weird castration backstory, I just don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's interesting because there's definitely a strong theme in this story, as difficult as it is sometimes, of the abuse of children, like the physical and emotional like traumas that children can endure, whether it's Oscar being like mercilessly bullied yeah. with like nowhere to turn, whether it's Ely's backstory or whether it's the victims of Hoken mm-hmm. and his like desires as a pedophile, right? Like you witness like a lot of difficult things that like children go through in this story. And this is right up there with them, right? Yeah. So like it, it thematically in a lot of ways ties into those themes of the story. So even as difficult as it is to read, like I do, it's not totally out of left field, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I agree. It is still like, I'm still thinking about it and still trying to like decide how I feel about like all of it. Yeah. In an interesting way, because like also too, with Oscar's relationship with Ely, like in some ways it feels romantic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also kind of, sexless right or and and like part of that is like their age right like they're 12 they're very yeah yeah um but also it's like well also is it because their relationship is more than that right Mm -hmm. and is ely's kind of like sexless gender related to that thematically i i don't know there's just kind of like a lot to process with all of it yeah there's a lot to question here the movie is not doing it's not making the right choices here i think this subject clearly as we've been discussing it we still don't even know how to feel about it right yeah and the book had a lot of space and time to kind of tell us about it and talk about it and the movie is like oh what if we still have that in the movie but we don't give any time or space to it at all in fact here's just like a genital shot of this kid which apparently was a mannequin was not actually this child right yeah um, but it's clear something has happened to this child's genitals, and we don't even specifically know. Well, and it is like a half a second shot. Like, I mean, I get they don't want to like linger on that shot, but also it's so quick that you're like, what? What was what, that? What, what? What? I don't even. What was that? Like, yeah. what did I see? And this is just something that Oscar sees through the crack of a door as Ely is changing. And it's just never brought up. It's not addressed. It's not. No. Like, there's no context at all given to it. And this is probably the thing I remember the most clearly about this movie from the first time we (laughs) watched watched it. it, Because I was just so blindsided by this and just had no idea what it was doing in this film. Once again, adhering too closely to a book, but not having the time to really flesh this out. Right. And so we're just left with. Too many questions, I think, from the movie. I mean, the only hints at this in the film are Ely's saying, Ely's saying, I'm not a girl. Yeah. A but you can times. interpret that as her saying she's a vampire. Yeah, like you don't really think about that line that it's only something that on a rewatch you would be like, oh, OK, I guess I know what that means. But like in that moment of that shot, like that's not you don't connect the dots yet. No. And I mean, what they show could just be a wound in general, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that like oh, this person's penis was cut off, right? Yeah. It just could be like, oh, this person was injured in some way in this area, right? Yes. It doesn't actually 
imply that Ely is a boy. So I just don't know what's going on in the movie here. <laughs> it was a a weird, just bad choice, I think. We do hear in the book, and I thought this was interesting, Ely tells Oscar about meeting another vampire one time and only once meeting another vampire. Yeah. Like, there aren't a lot of them. They seem very st- solitary. Um, don't really... I guess, congregate or spend time together. And the woman that he met, who was a vampire, basically said, oh, yeah, we kill ourselves. We can't stand to live like this very long. And Ely has kind of always thought about that and, in fact, wonders, like, and I I think this is another interesting aspect, is that Ely is, like, 12 years old. And even though he's been around for, like, 200 years, in a lot of ways, he still feels like a 12-year-old. Like, he tells Oscar... I don't have the mind of like an ancient human being. Like I still feel like I'm 12 and he even kind of wonders like, is the only reason I'm clinging to life and haven't ended things already is because I'm still kind of like in that child's mind. Like I have more of a need to hold on to life, you know, Uh, like this is something that he ponders, but I, I kind of like that though. And how it correlates to what happened with Virginia. Right. And kind of this idea of like, that would be a horrible life, right? Yeah. To be a vampire. And like, I understand why they would like just to choose to end things. Mm-hmm. And that kind of being also an explanation as to like why there just aren't many. Yeah. Yeah. And it, despite the fact that it's so easily transmissible that like, that's why there aren't that many around because they just kill themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not a great life. We also get a really cool scene in both the book and the movie where Oscar has Ely over in his apartment. And he kind of jokes at Ely because even though he invited Ely into um, his window and Ely came in, Ely says, you have to invite me and it's a separate entrance. You have to ask me to come in to your front door. And Oscar is kind of like, oh, well, what if I don't? And Ely walks in and he's just standing there. And then all of a sudden... Blood just starts oozing out of every orifice. And like out of the pores. There's a great shot in the film that actually like conveys that. Like just the skin with like droplets of blood forming. Yeah. Running down his face. And Oscar's kind of horrified and immediately starts saying like, you you can come in, you're invited, you're invited. And like stops it. And I really love this scene because I think it's Ely showing Oscar that like, being vulnerable for Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, despite Ely being, like, incredibly strong and, like, a predator and, like, something dangerous that, like, he chooses a moment to be, like, vulnerable to Oscar. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. Yeah, I like it, too. Um, It's time for Hawken to come back. Yeah, let's go to a portion in the book that is (laughs) book-specific. It begins with Ely... Finding Tommy, actually, which is an interesting intersection of characters. Yes. Ely goes into Tommy's, like, basement hideout and is like, I want to buy your blood. (laughs) And Tommy's like, what? (laughs) Because Tommy's also high off of glue. Yeah. And um, Ely gives him, like, 5,000 kroner, which I'm not sure what the 80s exchange rate (laughs) is in American U.S. dollars, but, like, a lot of money. Yeah. And Tommy ends up agreeing to this. And Ely, like, cuts the inside of his elbow and, like, drinks his blood. Yeah, and Tommy doesn't turn into a vampire, so I wonder if it's the actual, like, 
biting. Yes, like that the puncture of skin. Because what they do is they use like a razor to cut Tommy's arm and then uh, Ely drinks his blood. So yeah, I think this is interesting. Ely drinks Tommy's blood and ends up leaving and then coming back to kind of check on Tommy later. And when Ely is coming to check on Tommy, who comes in but Zombie Hawken? He was just hiding out in a badger hole in the woods uh, all this time when the police were looking for him. And Ely makes a comment that, like, Hoken will come for me. Like, if he's still alive, he will, like, seek, Try me, to find seek me? me out, like this zombie version. <laughs> Does he smell him? Like, how did he find him? I don't know. So Hoken shows up, <laughs> and he's just this monstrosity now, yeah. right? And he attacks Ely. Yeah. He tries to rape Ely. Um, which is a part in the book that I would rather not be here because yes, we know that this guy was like a wannabe pedophile or was a pedophile. We don't really know. Nothing ever really happened with Ely and now he's a zombie and he has a raging heart on and he's just rampaging through the woods, just needing to get off. Right. I just think it's too crass and crude it is it really is like like tasteless yeah right and it even makes me like earlier i gave the author the benefit of the doubt with that scene where hoken like almost like uh solicits a child prostitute yeah and then stops at like the very last second because here's another scene where he's like coming so close to raping ely and like at the last minute ely's able to like break away yeah right but like once again I'm like, okay, so now there's two instances of this. Yeah. And, like, I was willing to, like, accept the first one, but now it's getting, like, really graphic and gratuitous and, like... Not good. ...tasteless. And, yeah, it's... it's it feels like... I, I don't know, some, like, weird porn subgenre. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not, not my favorite. No. Um, Ely manages to escape. And the circumstances are... It, it's kind of a weird thing. After... Drinking Tommy's blood, Ely left and then came back to make sure Tommy was okay. Yeah. He's like, I don't think I turned him into a vampire, but I want to make sure. So Tommy was still in his hideout and heard footsteps and hid. Yeah. And then Hoken comes and then Ely like has this scrap with him and Ely manages to lock him in this room, not knowing that Tommy has hidden in, has there. Hidden in there. Yeah. And so now Tommy is trapped. In a dark, pitch black room with a horrifying zombie vampire. Zombie monster. rapist. Yes. Unfortunately, or fortunately, <laughs> Hoken was blinded. Like his one good eye was taken out by Ely in the fight. So yeah. Hoken is blind and fumbling around. And um Tommy has just the the creepiest chapter in the whole book. Oh my god. This is terrifying. He has a lighter that he's like turning on to like see anything. And this monster is after him, like feeling around, hearing for him. And he's trying to keep away. He starts thinking about this like children's nursery rhyme yeah, song. Yeah. Because his mind is unraveling. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's losing his mind completely. Yeah. And it keeps cutting back to this nursery rhyme song. And this was the part that was, I think, for both of us, the most Stephen King feeling. This whole book has Stephen King vibes, yes. right? It's in the 80s. It's about kids. They're supernatural. And not just the setting and the themes, but a lot of the writing kind of seemed Stephen King-esque. We were talking at one point about how 
you know, creating this almost like town of characters and these side characters with these rich interior lives feels very Stephen King. Yes. And I mean, I don't think this is um, controversial to say because I think the author is aware of this because there's actually uh, a reference to Stephen King in this book because Oscar is reading the book Firestarter. Yeah. Which is a Stephen King novel. Mm -hmm. And I think like the only book I can think of that is like directly alluded to in this novel. Yeah. So I think the author is well aware of how very King-esque this story is. Um, So yeah, Tommy is in this small room trying to keep away from this monster. He manages to get a hold of this trophy. That he stole from uh, his his stepdad. Yeah. (laughs) And he takes it. And manages to bludgeon the vampire with it. Yeah. The zombie vampire. The zombie vampire with it. Yes. He is discovered later the next (laughs) morning by his stepdad who came down to have a a talk with him about the whole church prank. Mm -hmm. He opens the door and finds Tommy singing the nursery rhyme to himself as he continuously on on beat, on rhythm, (laughs) just smashing this puddle of a man that's left yeah that's how he finds him i don't think it's all night because this happens in the morning and then i think it's maybe maybe like at the most an hour later oh that's true the stepdad comes down well i knew it was like dark when ely locked him in but i forgot that was like he was just fleeing like the rising sun like the sun was just coming up when ely gets okay so you're right so it was probably like an hour (laughs) yeah in my brain i mean what is time yeah when you're trapped in a room with a zombie vampire that you're you're just bludgeoning him to death (laughs) singing a nursery rhyme right (laughs) oh the time flies oh man (laughs) you can keep track of the hours yeah you know unfortunately the book doesn't really give us an update on how Tommy is doing after this incident. And I was kind of disappointed in this. I was really annoyed about this because like, this is kind of the culmination of two threads of this story intersecting, right? The Hoken thing. Yeah. And Tommy. And I was left feeling like, well, what happened with Tommy? Yeah. With his stepdad, with his mom. Like he took the money from Ely because he wanted to leave. Yeah. Right. Um, But like, where is he? with that mentally at this point, right? Yeah. Is he a shell of a human being? Yeah. Right? Like, is he going to recover? Yeah. Like, is he going to like fall more into like drugs and despair because of this encounter? Like nothing's even alluded to. Like this is that chapter of him where he's bludgeoning him is the last chapter from his perspective that we get. And like, I think at one point Oscar sees him being like led back home and he's like shuffling slowly like an old man. Like yeah. he's just like emotionally scarred and damaged. And I'm kind of like, Ugh. come on. Yeah. Like what was. Give us more. I mean, there's a lot of parts in this book where it'll just in very brief segments, touch on what various characters are doing simultaneously. Like it'll be like Locke's here doing this. And meanwhile, Tommy's over here doing this. And then Johnny. And then, you know, it'll just kind of I think you could have done that at the end of the book. To kind of wrap up some of these various plot threads, right? Yeah. Because Tommy's yeah. isn't the only one that kind of gets, like, dropped, right? Yeah. Um, but probably the most significant, I'd say. For sure. Yeah. And speaking of threads, so all of this stuff with Tommy and the zombie, Hokin, and all of that, it's just in the book, right? None of this is happening in the movie at all. But what is happening in the movie is Lake, who just lost his girlfriend and best friend, is going to find the vampire and kill it. And 
in the movie, we see him looking up in the apartment window that's boarded up with cardboard where Ely is. And then he's just breaking into the apartment. And we don't really get a reason why he's doing this. In the book, we see that they have somehow tracked down a picture of Hawken or Hoken, and they've published it in the newspaper. And they're asking for the public's help because he is still out there at this point. They yes. haven't found him. And Lake sees the newspaper and is like, oh, my God, that's the guy that moved into our neighborhood. And then he looks up at the, you know, windows and sees that window is boarded up. And I just watched my girlfriend burst into flames from the sun. And so he knows that that's where the vampire is. And he also knows the ritual killer who he now knows is Hoken was like draining people of their blood. Yeah. So like the pieces all come together very quickly for him. But I agree in the film, I was literally, my head was bent down. I was taking a note and I look up and he's breaking into the apartment. And yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa. I was like, what happened? What did I miss? <laughs> and you were like, oh, he looked up at the cardboard window. And I'm like, that's it? Yeah. That's our explanation for why he decided to like break in. Like it's very quick. Yeah. Uh, He's inside though. In the film actually oscar is in the apartment again confusing as to why oscar is there yeah because at one point he was back at his house yeah but then he was just suddenly in this apartment feels like something was cut out or something definitely uh so he's hiding while look lock is like rummaging around he finds a knife to try to pry open this door uh, the only locked door in the apartment, right? Mm-hmm. And this is all playing out similar in the book, except Oscar, who is worried about Ely, is racing to the apartment to try yeah. to check up on him. Mm-hmm. So similar kind of like ticking clock element. Yeah. He gets the bathroom door open and sees Ely in the bathtub. Very different setups. In the book, Ely is covered in just a bath of blood. Like literally, like soaking in blood. Like he doesn't even see Ely. He reaches into the blood and like feels a body in there. Yeah. In the movie, it's more like a cocoon of blankets and shielding from the light. Yeah, which I guess makes I, I don't know. Where, I don't know why you have to soak in blood. What's al- the purpose of that? Also, where did he get all of that blood? Yeah. Like that's a lot of blood. Yeah. Isn't the whole thing like I he don't needs I, the blood I to need live? More blood. Yeah. <laughs> I why not just drink what you have? That's we don't need more. We have blood at home. <laughs> <laughs> the blood at home. You, tr- <laughs> you were two seconds ahead of me on that joke. I was like right behind you on that one. We have blood at home. <laughs> the bathtub blood at home. <laughs> it's not as good. It's been sitting out for a while. Oh, my God. So... <laughs> Uh, Lackey is like two seconds away from plunging a knife into Ely and Oscar like yells and gets his attention. And yeah. it's a little bit more drawn out in the book. Oscar in the book actually manages to kind of club him with the Rubik's Cube. Yeah. <laughs> Rubik's Cube coming back into the plot. Chekhov's Rubik's Cube. <laughs> <laughs> but this gives uh, Ely an opportunity to wake up and attack Lackey. And then Oscar just closes the door. As this man is like murdered and like brutally killed, right? Yeah. Poor Lackey. 
<laughs> what a life he's lived. Uh, yeah, and that's another plot line where, like... He just dies. He just dies. Like, he suffered so many losses and then dies in this really sad way. Like, what about his other friends? Yeah, I would have at least liked a closing chapter with his other friends to, like, I don't know, give context to, like, what all of this means, right? Yeah. Because I feel the same way with Tommy. I'm like, what were these plot lines for? How is this community affected? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like Ely is going to leave at this point. She or he and Oscar say their goodbyes. I didn't feel like it was quite clear in the book and the movie what the deal was. Yeah. Was he moving on somewhere? Was Oscar not wanting to go with him? Like, what was the situation? I think in the book, it was a little more clear. Like the the police literally just broke into Ely's apartment, right? But I guess, like, where was Ely going to go? Like, does anyone else know that Ely is, like, the killer or a vampire or a person of interest in these murders? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I guess just it's safer to leave at that point, presumably. But, yeah, in the film also, I guess it just ends with, like, Oscar looking sad out the window, uh, which is a kind of a mirroring shot at the beginning of the film, which I really did like that, you know? It's not quite the it's not the very end of the film, but I do love uh, a book ending uh, shot, right, where it feels like full circle. Yeah. Yeah. But Oscar is not doing well. He's sad about not being with Ely wherever he's gone. And in the book, he goes through this phase where he sets his classmates desks on fire. He goes in at night when everyone's gone. This isn't like an active middle of the day school. (laughs) But um, he actually, you know, the last time we had seen Johnny, who he clubbed with a stick, Johnny actually caught him at a subway station or train station and like was going to throw him on the tracks and like scare the shit out of him again. So like the dynamic is like shifting again. Right. Yeah. Oscar's not on top anymore. So Oscar goes to school, (laughs) douses Johnny and this other kid's desks in like lighter fluid or whatever it is and sets them on fire (laughs) like a. Crazy person. Yeah, Oscar doesn't know it, but uh, a childhood photo album was in Johnny's desk and was destroyed in this fire. And Johnny and his older brother, who is a psychopath, Jimmy. um, (laughs) Jimmy and Johnny. Value this photo album very deeply because it's of their childhood and their father. Um, And so now they're like, we have to kill Oscar. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They cook up this plot with some other kids to lure Oscar to the um, after-school training class that our, their gym teacher runs. So Oscar ends up showing up. The gym teacher is there, so he feels safe. But they, the the boys, rig up a distraction. In the movie, they just set something on fire outside, so the teacher has to go put it out. Which was smart. Yeah. In the book, they actually, like, club the gym teacher over the head and, like, lock him in his office. Which was way too far. Yeah. I'm like, that's really extreme. You could, like, kill somebody. Yeah. Well, I guess they're going to kill Oscar. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Like, I don't don't know what their actual plan was for Oscar, like, to what extent they were actually going to take it. But they really did club a man unconscious, right? So they find Oscar in the pool. And this is where uh, Jimmy tells Oscar, we're going to do a little competition. Uh, You're going to go underwater and hold your breath. In the film, he's like, if you hold your breath for three minutes, then I'll only cut you a little bit. Yeah. If you don't, I'm going to gouge your eye out. (laughs) And in the book, he's like, 
five minutes. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. This is a 12-year-old child. Yeah. But they actually hold his head underwater. So yes. they're going to drown him, right? And I think this is interesting how this plays out because we kind of get a perspective shift here where it's one of the other kids in the book who's watching this happen. Yeah. And he sees Ely outside and Ely kind of says, say I can come in. And this kid is like freaked out because he's like, oh my God, Jimmy is drowning this boy. Like yes. I kind of don't want to be involved in this. And so he does, he says, you can come in. And then there's an epilogue of the police at this crime scene being like, what happened here? There's right? two severed heads in the pool. <laughs> And like, and one kid is missing. And and the other kids are like, I don't know if it was one or two kids were like, uh, an angel flew in. Yeah. And we, I, I love that you can just like picture that it was Ely with with wings. Yeah. And that she like flew in, and the police were like, I'm not saying that they were correct, but there is blood on <laughs> the ceiling. Based on the blood splatter, it does seem like someone was flying when they were decapitated. Like. <laughs> I love this in the movie, though, because we just see Oscar underwater in the pool and he's trying to hold his breath. He can't hold it anymore. He's becoming unconscious. We see his face. And then behind him, we just see like someone's legs being dragged in the pool. You hear these screams distorted underwater. And yeah, you see someone's feet flying over the pool, someone else getting dragged in. You see a head just fall into the water. Yeah. And then finally the arm That's holding, holding him Oscar's down. head in, like suddenly it just tilts and it's severed and it just floats down. Yeah. My only complaint, and this scene is so good that I, I, I feel bad even saying this, but I'm like, the, the arm should have been severed first. Yeah. Because while all of this is going on, is Jimmy just still holding Oscar's head underwater? True, true. Like, he would stop, right? If there's a flying vampire <laughs> decapitating people, he's not like, I'm just going to finish up with this kid real quick, you know? Like, that kind of doesn't totally make sense. I think it should have been the arm. Yeah. And at that point, Oscar could have just been unconscious anyway, and, like, mm -hmm. the other body parts and stuff could have flown in. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that's my only my my one minor critique. Besides that, it's such an amazing scene. Oh, yeah. I've never been so happy to watch <laughs> children a child murdered. decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but when Oscar comes out of the water, though, there's just this great shot of him looking up and then like a close up of Ellie's eyes or Ely's eyes and his eyes. And then it just cuts to like a shot of the pool and the one kid who was left who wasn't <laughs> murdered is just sobbing. <laughs> oh, my God. But um, then we got a little bit of an epilogue in the book and the movie showing Oscar on a train and he has a really big trunk. Yes. And he's going somewhere. In the movie, we see him tapping Morse code on the trunk. Making it a little more clear to us. I think the book makes it obvious enough what's in the trunk, right? It, it does, but that Morse code detail I is know. just so good. And part of me is like, did the author only think of that when they were after he wrote it? And he was writing like, the adaptation. They're like, oh, that's such a good way to end with the <laughs> tapping the Morse code on the trunk. Mm -hmm. Or, or maybe the author thought of that with the book, but just decided to go a different way. Because, like in the book, it's from like the um, 
I don't know the like train conductor c- conductor's or... perspective. Yeah, he comes around and it's like talking to a boy who has a big trunk, and so you're able to deduce it's Oscar, and it is interesting because like. You don't know what their plan is. No. Like, you don't get Oscar's perspective on this of like, oh, we're going here and we're going to do this or that. Um, It's just this person's perspective of like, oh, this kid seems like really happy, you know? Yeah, yeah. With his big, suspicious trunk. (laughs) 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 Um, But I I do kind of love that ending, though, that like, despite how like absurd it is that these 12 year olds are gonna like run away run away together it's like really sweet and like sort of like romantic in its own way right yeah you have to wonder what their future is gonna be like though yeah is he gonna turn into a hoken yeah i mean like i don't know and and this is kind of getting into just a general discussion on this book and like the themes of the story and stuff but like in some ways i appreciate that like oscar and other characters grow up in a world of violence, right? And in some ways, like, violence is the only response, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, Oscar's getting beat up. So, like, you don't blame him at all when he just clubs Johnny in the head, mm-hmm. right? And then later, they're gonna fucking kill him. Yeah, yeah. So, like... It's not working. It's no, escalating. It's escalating. And, like, the only way to, like, even survive is to, like, respond equally, right? Mm-hmm. And so... In a way, him going with Ely is kind of like this submission to that a little bit. But, like, also, they deeply care about each other, right? Yeah. Like, they do have, like, this genuine bond and connection in a way that, like, you don't see between almost any other characters in the story, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. And actually, the American version of this movie implies that Ely met Hoken or the Hoken character in the American version when he was a child. Oh, uh, apparently there's a scene where there's an old photo of them with mm. that character. His name is not Hoken. It's something else in the American version when he looked younger and almost implying that like Ely groomed him. Mm. And then like Oscar is going to be the next version of that. Huh? But that's, that that is specific to the American version. I mean, that's an interesting, it's an interesting take on it. God, I'd I'd have to think about that. I don't know how I feel about Hoken being like, oh, he was manipulated. Yeah. Right? But I mean, that's in the context of like this movie where he's maybe not like inherently a pedophile in the same way. Yeah, the book is very specifically like, oh, he's a, he's just a pedophile. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you do wonder about Oscar, right? Like he began the story like pretending to be a murderer yeah and now what's he gonna have to do to stay with ely right absolutely yeah it's interesting yeah there's a lot to mull over with this story for sure and i know this is leading us into a discussion about which one is better ian i okay the movie's great yeah really solid like just atmospheric um visually very striking very good especially with like the special effects um like, it keeps a lot of the best parts of the book, right? However, we mentioned this a couple times that, like, there are points in the film where it feels like there is a un- there's a missing context that exists in the book and not the film. Mm-hmm. Where if you haven't read the book, you're like, what the fuck is this? What's happening? It's, like, confusing, right? Yeah. And I do think it, it does hurt the film a bit. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, the one thing I remembered most about the first time we watched this 
was the genital thing. <laughs> yeah. And just feeling totally baffled by that. And yeah. feeling like I missed something, even though I didn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think the movie's hindered by that a little bit. And I do think overall the book is really good. And I, I think I prefer the book. Yeah, it's very, very tight for me too. Because there's some things about the book I don't like. I don't love the attempted rape with the zombie, right? Yeah. And I mean, I'm a little bit unsure how I feel about some of the very graphic memories uh, that Ely shares with Oscar. But the book is very rich in detail, and I love all the side characters. And like I was saying, it does really remind me of like a Stephen King book, and I, I love those stories. And like it, it's so atmospheric, and it really gets you um invested in the story and it's a long book but it really like kind of flies by it starts off a little slow but then the pace really really quickens i was shocked by how readable this was i think it's kind of like it's not short chapters but kind of these short sections that you feel like you can just keep reading the next and the next and there's a lot of characters to jump around between and even characters that lead seemingly unremarkable lives like tommy yeah right? like who's just dealing with like his mom marrying a shitty stepdad. Yeah. Like his character and his story was still interesting. Like I was still engaged by that. Yeah. Um, So overall I was really shocked, but pleasantly so that like the book had such a good pace and was so readable throughout. Yeah, I think so. That makes me slightly prefer the book maybe, Mm -hmm. but I mean, the movie is so good. It is. I think I feel more strongly in favor of the book than you do. Yeah. Um, not to say anything about the the movie, but, um, or negative, you know, like I still really enjoyed the film a lot, but like I really enjoyed the book like quite a bit, despite some of the less savory aspects of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a book for both of us. Yeah. All right. Let's um read our patron Jennifer's feedback on this adaptation. So Jennifer writes to us, Um, I just finished rereading the novel in preparation for you doing this episode, and oof, I had forgotten how difficult parts of it are (laughs) in terms of subject matter. The author does not shy away from delving into exactly how fucked up uh, Hoken's relationship is with Ely, which makes it a bit of a tough read. I'm not sure whether I'd classify that aspect of the book as a strength or a downside since it is a horror novel, and a big part of what's horrifying about this story are the humans involved. Uh, That being said, I think the story itself is a really original, interesting take on the typical vampire trope. I love that Ely really is, in many ways, what she appears to be a lonely, friendless little girl. She likes puzzles and games and giggling with Oscar about the funny-looking man at the newsstand. But she's also a bloodthirsty monster capable of terrifying, brutal acts of violence. There are definitely some interesting points being made about the nature of violence here, the way she and Oscar are both outcasts, and the toll that takes on the psyche. Some uncomfortable parallels between the two of them and their respective reasons for wanting to hurt people. Um, In general, I think both film versions are effective and well done. They're very similar to each other since the U.S. version was essentially just a remake of the Swedish film. I'd probably have to give a slight edge to the Swedish version in terms of casting and overall atmosphere. Both wisely toned down Hawkins' sexual interest in kids considerably and also pared down the subplots with the side characters. They also leave out the whole entire situation with undead Hoken, who spends most of the third act in the book wandering around with one <laughs> eyeball, no face, and a massive zombie erection, <laughs> while the police stage a manhunt for him through the Swedish wilderness, which is also probably for the best, really. <laughs> that part of the book gets really fucking weird. 
Um, the penultimate scene at the pool is one of the things I've always remembered really vividly over the years since my first viewing of the film. It sticks in your mind somehow. The way the actual killings are shot from underwater. Um, Oscar coming up amidst the absolute carnage of what Ely's done, seeing her and just smiling. Fade to black. It's very unsettling. Uh, Jennifer does go on a little bit more um, and then kind of concludes... It does seem like the book kind of has a more realist or optimistic bent than what we're shown in the film. Uh, Thanks for agreeing to do this one. Looking forward to the episode. Yeah, thank you so much for your thoughts and for suggesting this episode and some really great thoughts there concerning, I think, this story, like you said, about like the nature of violence. And yeah, I didn't read uh, Jennifer's whole review is a little bit long, but um, she also kind of talked about what we were talking about, how the one movie kind of implies that Ely kind of s- like selected Oscar to be her new Hoken. Yeah. And kind of the implications of that and what Oscar might turn into. So obviously, you know, Jennifer had the same thoughts that we were kind of having about what Oscar would eventually become. I do want to see the American version at some point because I do like both of the actors playing the uh, Oscar and Ely mm-hmm. in that version. Like both are like really good actors, uh, young actors. So like for me, that's like the most interesting part to like compare and contrast, I think. But um, yeah, maybe for another time after we've uh, <laughs> come down a little bit from the intensity uh, of this book and film. Uh, but anyway, we'll post Jennifer's full review on Patreon for everybody to access. If you want to read um, all of her thoughts on this adaptation. Yeah, uh, let's get into lightning round. Let's do lightning. Okay, first thing I want to mention for lightning round is small, but um, Oscar's snot, Ian. Oscar's snot? The snot that he has on his face constantly (laughs) in this movie. This boy is always sporting some snot. (laughs) Like, I think it's being out in the cold. Yeah. Right. It's also part of like maybe his age, but like there is always snot on this boy's face. I have to believe that they did it intentionally, right? Yeah. That he just didn't have snot pouring out of him and they just filmed around it, right? They put the snot there, but I'm like, why did they make the snot? <laughs> Such a prominent part of his character. He always has snot all over his face. There's also a part where he's, a couple different parts where he's swimming in the pool. And he just has his mouth oh, open. Oh, no, Adina, this was my Oh, no. <laughs> okay, you go into it. Go into it. <laughs> yeah, okay, like, he's just treading water in the pool. And his mouth is just wide open. And he just keeps dropping his mouth into the water level. And just has, like water flowing in and out of his just gaping maw. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so gross. Why close your fucking mouth. <laughs> like even at the end when Jimmy confronts him and has like a knife pulled out on him, he's just like ah, 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 ah just letting water flow into his fucking mouth. It's so gross. Uh, uh, next for lightning round, I want to mention the sound design from this movie. Mm. Um, I know it actually got a lot of um, probably awards and credit for this. The sound effects are all really good. And oh, I read yeah. that they really tried to use a lot of naturalistic sounds to create uh, a lot of the effects, especially around Ely attacking people. I heard one of the effects was someone biting into sausage. Yeah. And eating like a melon. Like, something very, like, wet. Yeah. Right? Um, The scenes where Ely ends up, like, feeding on people and, like, snarling are all 
very visceral. Like yeah. you just feel them. They're they're very effective. Oof, yeah. Yeah, you can really uh, hear hear the wetness. Yeah. <laughs> Last up for lightning round, I just have to give a shout out to the gym teacher character. Yes. Especially in the book. I love him. He is. Is it Mr. Avila? Avila, yeah, or something along those lines. He's uh, Spanish. And so, like, the Swedish is like a foreign language to him. So, like, he'll constantly be like. Uh, oh, watch out for the, the the water pit. And then someone's like, that's not the right word. He's like, well, how do you say hole, hole? Like he's <laughs> like constantly correcting himself. But at the end, uh, he he's like very encouraging of Oscar, right? Like wanting him to work out. Like he's always like, oh, just get some exercise. Like that's like the best thing for you, right? And like wanting to help him. And it's this whole kerfuffle after Oscar lights the desks on fire, And he shows up to the next uh, workout session and the gym teacher sits down with him and he looks closely at him and he's like, your uh, your eyelashes are singed off. (laughs) And he's like, you know, kids shouldn't be playing with fire. Anyway, I'm not going to tell anyone. Like, don't worry. Like, if you want to if you want to talk about it, I'm here. Don't worry, though. Just make sure to cut your uh, eyelashes so nobody else will notice. Like, (laughs) he's just super cool and supportive and like there for oscar and like oscar actually like considers like opening up to him about stuff at one point yeah um like just a a good guy right i love him which made me feel really bad when he gets bludgeoned with that sock of nickels he does live he does he is alive he just got a bad concussion (laughs) yeah um but yeah great great teacher great character (laughs) that's uh lightning round which wraps up our episode thank you so much for listening and shout out to jennifer for requesting this episode if you would like to request an episode the best way to do that is to be a patron um we always prioritize our patron suggestions and we do them as often as we can patrons also get access to monthly bonus episodes our private discord where we're always talking all things books movies podcasts whatever lots of really good stuff for becoming a patron yeah and if you can't become a patron uh giving us a positive star rating on spotify or apple podcast is extremely helpful uh you can also find us on instagram on twitter on facebook you can find all of those links at covertocredits.com thanks again for listening to this episode and we'll see you next time see you next time Bye. bye